Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. You know, um, Jesus, uh, he's, of course, he said a lot of things, right? It's recorded in the Bible. But um, he said one thing that was kind of interesting to the Pharisees and the scribes. The scribes, you know, they were the professional lawyers. They, they were students of the word, basically, of the Old Testament. And Jesus said to them in John chapter 5, 39, he says, you're searching the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And then he says, and these are they which testify of me. And he's speaking about the Old Testament. He said the Old Testament testifies of me. And if you've been here long enough and we've been going through the book of Genesis, you've been seeing that we've been actually seeing pictures and portraits and types of Jesus already in the story and in the narration of the book of Genesis. And uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we were in Genesis chapter 22. And if you're familiar with that chapter, that's the chapter, you know, Abraham, in his old age, Abraham and Sarah have a child, Isaac, the child of, of promise, the child of faith. And uh, you think, wow, God's finally, he's, he's, he's promised a son. Now they have a son. The descendants are supposed to come from the son. Eventually the Messiah is going to come from the descendants. And I mean, it's like, wow, God's starting to do a work. And then in Genesis chapter 22, God says something very interesting to Abraham. He says, take your one and only son, the son whom you love, and offer him to me as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah, or on the mountains of Moriah. And uh, what, a, what a sacrifice. Um, and so Abraham, he obeys. And he takes his son Isaac. And by the way, his son Isaac was most likely in his 30s, not just a little teenager, a little, little kid. He's most likely in his 30s. And takes him to Mount Moriah. And uh, he's about to slay his son as a sacrifice in obedience to the Lord. Now in Hebrews... It tells us that he believed, his faith was so strong in the Lord, he believed that even if, even if uh, Isaac died, that God would raise him back from the dead. So he's like, okay, I'm going to obey. And it had have been tough. I mean, it goes without saying. Well, he was about to slay his son on the altar, and the Lord stops him just in the nick of time. And at that time, Abraham sees a ram caught in a thicket on the mountain. And so he takes that ram and substitutes it for Isaac and offers the ram in the place of Isaac. Now that spot on Mount Moriah is what we know today as Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary it's known as. 2,000, roughly 2,000 years after that incident with Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, another father would offer up his son, only there was no other lamb, there was Jesus Christ who would die on, that, on the cross on Calvary. The same spot about 2,000 years later. And Abraham here in Genesis chapter 22 that we talked about a couple weeks ago is a type or a picture of the heavenly father offering up his son on Mount Moriah. His only beloved son as a sacrifice for sin. Well, if Abraham the father is a, type, or is a picture of the heavenly father, Isaac then is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. Um, if you will, he's a, what occurred on, in Genesis chapter 22 is a picture of Christ's crucifixion, death, and resurrection. If you're interested in, in re, well, read Genesis 22, not now, but later, read Genesis 22. We have the teaching on, on our website. So if you're interested in kind of going, I wonder what he's talking about, I encourage you to listen to that. So we have the, the sacrifice of Isaac, who's a picture of Christ on, on Mount Moriah. And, and, and in Hebrews, it says that Abraham received him back, as figuratively received him back from the dead. 
And so at the end of Genesis chapter 22, word gets back to Abraham that his brother Nahor has children and grandchildren. And, and at the end of chapter 22, we're introduced to Abraham's grandniece, whose name is Rebekah. And uh, later on, as we'll see today, uh, Rebekah is going to become Isaac's wife. So back in Genesis 22, we have a picture of Christ's crucifixion, his death, his, his resurrection. And it's immediately followed by an announcement of this birth of Rebekah, the bride of Isaac, the future bride of Isaac. Well, that's a picture of the bride of Christ, the church. And now this morning in Genesis chapter 24, we're going to read about how Rebekah came to be Isaac's wife. And once more, God's going to be painting a picture in the Old Testament that points to a reality in the New Testament. So, Genesis chapter 24, if you have it there, verse 1, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said uh, to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but you shall go to the country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac." So Abraham, he's getting up in age. Isaac's obviously getting up in age too. And he wants Isaac to be married and he wants to get a wife for Isaac, but he doesn't want him from the Canaanite woman all around them. So he commissions his oldest servant of his house to go back to Mesopotamia. And if you call, recall, that's where Abraham was from, Mesopotamia. Go back to Abraham's family that still dwells back there and find a suitable wife from among them to bring back to Isaac. And you'll notice uh, in chapter 24 that the oldest servant of Abraham's house is not named. We're not given a name. And that's significant. There's a reason behind that. And that's because the servant in Genesis chapter 24 is another picture or a type, if you will, of the Holy Spirit who sent into the world to find and prepare a bride for Christ. We'll see that painted in the picture as we look through this chapter. And so why is the Holy Spirit, or why is the servant not mentioned? Well, that's because the Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. He always glorifies the Son. John, uh, and Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, he was teaching the disciples about the Holy Spirit, and he says, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he'll tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't draw attention to himself. His mission is to draw the focus on to Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times we pray for a, just a move of the Holy Spirit, and there's people that want a revival of the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to tell you, if there's a genuine, true revival of the Holy Spirit, the focus will not be on the Holy Spirit. The focus will be on Jesus Christ. That's the sign of a true, genuine move of the Spirit. The focus will be Jesus. And so, here in Genesis 24, we're not told the name of the servant. However, very interesting. Back in Genesis chapter 15, there is one servant of Abraham's who's mentioned, and his name is Eliezer of Damascus. And I think that this is the same servant. Why do I say that? Well, because his name is very interesting. His name starts with El, which is Hebrew for God, and Azer is the Hebrew word for help, relief, aid, 
or assistance. It comes from the root word azar, which means to surround in as to protect or to aid. God and a helper. Very fascinating to me. You know, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God, by the way. And he is called in the Bible the helper, the comforter. The Greek word is parakletos, and it means someone who's called to one side, especially called to, to aid someone. And the Holy Spirit, he comes alongside to convict sinners. He can, comes alongside to convict the world of their sin and their need for a Savior. But when a person accepts Christ into their heart, they, they, they put trust in Christ for their salvation, um, they're born again. At that point, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of them. And the Bible says that he's a sign and a seal of their salvation. But not only that, he guides them. He teaches them. He comforts them. And then as we see in the book of Acts, he also comes upon them to fill them with boldness and power to be witnesses for Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, he said, who ruled over all they had, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. How many of you had somebody put a hand under your thigh? I mean, it's kind of things, kind of like that's bizarre, right? Well, it's cultural, okay. Um, I would never ask anyone to put their hand, maybe my wife, but nobody else, okay. Um, what, it, what, what's going on here? Well, in that day and age, it was basically a physical gesture. It was taking an oath. It was a way of taking an oath. What, what did it do? Well, uh, you know, symbolically, it drew the person close to Abraham, right? I mean, you're right. It's like, you know, have you ever tried to get your children when they were little, try to get their attention? You know, I'll tell you, I'll give you a good example. My grandson, one of them, I forgot which one. I think it's the Jonathan. He's obviously has learned this, but he does this to me. When, when he wants to get my attention, you know what he does? He gets right up in my face and he grabs it. And, he, and he's like an inch away and he's telling me something. Of course, I, half the time I don't know what he's saying, but, but, uh, but that's what he's doing. He's getting my attention. Well, this is kind of what Abraham's doing. He, he's, he's drawing the servant close to him. Hey, put your hand under my thigh. I mean, how close can you be? You know, you're right there, right? Um, and, then he, and then basically, he can't walk away. <laughs> it's not like you pull your hand. You're, you're stuck there, basically. You're, you're there until Abraham finishes what he was telling him to do. It's just a cultural thing. Um, and so Abraham, in this weird way, he commissions uh, his servant to go and bring back a bride for Isaac. Look at verse 5. It says, And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you come? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. It's kind of interesting what the servant asks the master, or asks Abraham, what if the woman doesn't want to return with me? Should I then bring Isaac to her in Mesopotamia? 
You know, Abraham, as we studied as we've been going through Genesis, he learned the hard way that the heir of the promise should never leave the promised land. I mean, he learned that the hard way. He went down to Egypt during a famine in Canaan, and uh, it didn't turn out good for him there. Um, And so he's like, no, 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 no. Isaac's not leaving the promised land. You go get a wife. If she's not willing to come, you're free of your obligation, basically. Um, You know, what is this bringing Isaac to Mesopotamia? I was thinking about that. And, you know, in light of what we're talking about with the bride of Christ and the Holy Spirit, you know, there's really a push in churches today to bring Jesus to the world, so to speak. Uh, in, in a sense of making him more palatable, more relatable to the world. And, and uh, you know, I, I have nothing against making Christ more relatable to people. But when you do it at the expense of, you're no longer talking about sin, right? Because, you know, hey, we don't want to talk about the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus is just this loving person that loves you. You know, when you start doing that, it's like you're bringing Jesus back down to earth, to human level. And, and, and so, in a sense, you're doing that. You know, my wife and I, we attended a church once. Uh, we were out in California visiting family, and we were at the church, and they had this young pastor, and he started reading from this Bible. And I knew the scripture, but it's like, man, I've never heard of this version of the, that he's reading from. And we both looked at each other like, what version is he reading from? And it turned out later on, we found out that he was using this Bible that all the personal pronouns, they're gender neutral. Yeah, there's no he and she anymore. It's just, you know, it's they and them and people and stuff. And, and uh, again, I, you know, it's, it, that's fine if you want to read that. But, you know, it, it, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too uh, critical here. <laughs> I should probably lay off on that. But anyways, um, you know, people give messages that are meant to give people warm fuzzies, to make them feel good about themselves, to build their self-esteem. But listen, our relationship with Christ, it begins at the cross, it has to begin at the cross. It has to begin with recognizing that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And that's exactly the Holy Spirit's mission in the world today. It's to prepare a beautiful bride to meet Jesus, to sanctify us. Not to bring him down to us, but to bring us to him, to sanctify us, to make us more Christ-like. And so, you know, Abraham tells his servant that don't bring Isaac there. The Lord's going to send his angel ahead of him. And if the woman who's selected is not willing to return, the servant's free of his oath. I think that's significant, too, in light of what we're talking about. The woman, of course, is a type or a picture of the bride of Christ. She had to be willing to become the bride. I think that's fascinating. I think it's also significant for another reason. If the woman refused to come... The servant wasn't to bully her. I mean, it's not like seven brides for seven sisters or seven brides for seven brothers. You, you guys ever seen that movie? You know, they go and they 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 uh, they kidnap the girls, right? And they they like, they don't want to come. They're going to kidnap them, bring them on the other side of the mountain. So it's kind of a fun movie, but anyways, um, the Holy Spirit doesn't act that way. He's not going to take over you and kidnap you and abduct you and bring you to Christ. Um, you have to be willing to come to the to be the bride of Christ, and uh, the servant. I think it also speaks to uh, not only the free will of the bride of Christ, but also the nature of the Holy Spirit within the heart of a believer. You know, he doesn't, he's not a bully. He doesn't apprehend and force anyone against their will. You know, sometimes uh, people, you know, it's like they talk about the gifts of the Spirit and, and, and they say, you know, when the Spirit takes over, I have no control. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I can't help what I'm doing. Well, that's not scriptural. It's literally not scriptural. Listen, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 14. 
verse 26. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. He says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and that all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. What he's talking about is you get all these people and they all feel the spirits taking over me. And I got to he says, no, 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 at the most three and, and in order. And if, you know, sit down. If, we don't need to have everybody in the church doing at the same time. It's, it's, it's chaos. And so the Holy Spirit's not a bully. He's not going he, to take over you in that sense. Verse 10. So then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Now, we know that Abraham was a very, very wealthy person. Very wealthy. So it's not like he had everything of Abraham's with him. But he, was, he had... A, he had things of Abraham and he was entrusted being the oldest servant he was entrusted with Abraham's house and all his things and stuff uh, he was entrusted with Abraham's goods and it's interesting because Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit in John 16 verse 13 he says he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you all things that the father has are mine therefore I said he will take of mine and declare it to you the Holy Spirit has things of, of the Son and the Father that he, he can give to you, to relate to you, to share with you. Verse 11 of chapter 24. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give you your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink of, uh, a little water from your pitcher. So, so she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quit, let, quickly let down her drink, or excuse me, then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent, so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. You know, here, it's interesting, here the servant finds Isaac's bride at a well. I think that's another significant thing here. Wells are significant in the Bible. Did you know that I found my bride at a well? Literally, I found her at a well. Um, what are we talking about? 
Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord says this, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Jesus, the fountain of living waters. Isaiah 12.3 says, therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Jesus said in John 4.13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Why do I mention these verses? Before I met Teresa, I had rededicated my life to the Lord. And it was at that point in my walk with the Lord that I was hungering and I was thirsting for more of Jesus. I had never experienced that before. It was like, man, I can't get enough of Jesus. So what did I do? I started going to Bible studies. I started going to churches. I started going to a well to get fed more and more of Jesus to, to, to just to, to be, I was hungry and thirsty trying to know the Lord more. And lo and behold, there was my Rebecca, only her name was Teresa. And she was at the same well. She was drawing water from the same well too. And uh, what a beautiful thing here. I, you know, I encourage you, if you're looking for a husband or a wife, man, that's where to go, man. Go to the well. That's where, that's where you find them. Anyways. Interesting here. The servant lays out a very specific prayer request, right? I mean, I mean, he's kind of got it laid out. This has to happen. This has to happen. This has to happen. Lord, you know, can you show me stuff? And before he even finishes praying, man, there she is. I think that's really cool. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 7, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that, you'll, that, you, that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows of the things you have need of before you even ask him. God wants us to pray. We're to pray for all things. But the cool thing is, the Lord even knows what you need before you ask him. And Paul writes this in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, sometimes you pray for things and God just gives you more than what you ask for. He blesses you. He blesses your socks off. Well, not only was she at the well here, Rebecca was at the well just as he was praying, but she also offered to minister to him, but not even to him, to his camels. And that's exactly what he was, what he was praying, the sign. And, you know, it's interesting. The servant lets her follow through with her offer to feed, water his camels. Why do, why do I say that? Why, why is that interesting? I don't know how many gallons were in a pitcher. I don't know if it was a small pitcher or a big pitcher. I mean, if she had to carry it, it couldn't have been too huge. It, you know, a few gallons, maybe five gallons. I don't know. But listen, camels can drink up to 20 gallons of water each. There was 10 camels. That's 200 gallons of water. So you've got to think, how many pitchers of water going down to a well, drawing it, dumping it in the trough, going down and drawing it until, until they're done watering? That's a lot of work. It wasn't just a, here, have a drink. I mean, it, this, this was time. It wasn't a small task. I don't know if you've ever done this. You've ever, I, I've done it before. I, I've offered to help someone do something. And then all of a sudden I realized, man, this is a bigger task than I, I didn't realize it was going to be that big of a thing. And sometimes, you know, the temptation is, it's like, I offered it, but I didn't realize it was going to be that big. So now I'm backing out. But you know what? We're to be faithful, right? We're to be men and women of our word. And, and here, Rebecca, she's faithful to follow through with her commitment. She has a servant's heart. 
That's another good thing, by the way, to look for in a spouse. And it's a great thing to have in the bride of Christ here in a church is those who are faithful, they're committed, they have a servant heart, and they're hungry and thirsty for Jesus. It's so important. It says in verse 21, so all this is taking place. It says, And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Verse 22, So it was, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. You know, the servant... You got the command from Abraham, right? Go back to my country, my former country, to Mesopotamia and go find me a bride. And and he sets out in obedience to Abraham's command. And he goes to Nahor and he goes to a well and there he prays. He took steps of faith to get to that place. You know, some people, they, they want God to answer a prayer, but, and they want to have this confirmation and stuff, but they never take the steps first. It's like, I'm going to just, Lord, I want you to show me, and I'm just going to sit here and wait until you do something. That's not what the servant did. The servant headed to the place, went and did these. He took steps of faith, and being on the way, the Lord led him. I think it's a beautiful verse there. Being on the way, the Lord led him. That's what our life should be like. You know, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. You know, this reminds me of a story that we'll get to eventually when we get to, into the book of Exodus. But the children of Israel, they're about ready to enter into the promised land. Remember God led them through the Red Sea, you know, uh, you know on dry ground. And, you know, and then the whole story of the, the Egyptians, you know, the, they followed after and then they all drowned. Well, they came to the Jordan River. They had to cross the Jordan River and it was at flood stage at that time. And so it's like, well, how are we going to get across the river? And the Lord told Moses, have the Levites who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, have them step into the waters. And then he would part the sea or part the river for them. And guess what? It wasn't until the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant actually stepped into the water that that's when the waters parted and the children of Israel were able to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. That's an important picture because, you know, we need to take steps of faith, but as you do that, the Lord's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. But you have to take those steps. He wants us to be men and women of faith. We're believers, right? We believe. We, 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 We take steps of faith. Verse 28. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Here we're introduced to uh, Laban, Rebekah's brother. We're going, to be, we're going to be reintroduced to him later on when, when Jacob goes back to live there for a while. And we're going to kind of learn about his character. And we find out, we see a little glimpse of it here, we'll find out later that his focus is wealth. 
You can see it here. You get a glimpse of it, and you see it later on for sure. And it's funny, but you know, you can really tell what a person's focus is uh, on, and it, it just reveals itself in how people act and what they talk about, or or just what they're involved with. Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen, "Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth." where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we see that in Laban. He was focused on wealth. Verse 32. Then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master whom she, when she was old and to him he has given all that he has. So here the servants relating to them all about his master Abraham and his son. And Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, John fourteen twenty six, but the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You see a picture of this taking place here. Verse 37, Now, the mas- now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I will walk, before whom I walk, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water. And it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little drink from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's sons. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher go down let her pitch her down from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave uh, the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring and her nose, uh, on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may turn the right hand, uh, turn to the right hand or to the left. Verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. 
And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard the words, their words, that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Now, it was customary for a bride's family to receive a dowry. It was, it was proof that the, the bridegroom had adequate, adequate, adequate enough resources to provide for her. But it's also significant because here this picture of the Holy Spirit is giving gifts and we know that the Holy Spirit has given spiritual gifts to the church and it's for the profit of all. The Bible says he distributes them to each believer as he wills. If you're a born-again believer in Christ this morning, you have at least one spiritual gift, if not, and probably in more cases, you have multiple gifts of the Spirit and they're for the glorification, the edification of the body. Verse 54 and he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. See, the servant was anxious to bring Rebekah back to Isaac. And they didn't outright oppose him. But they were hindering him on his mission. And they were probably well-meaning. You know, we want, to, we want to have a going away party. We want to, I mean, we're not going to see her for who knows how long. We, we want to spend just a little bit of time with her. And you know, I see this in spiritual aspect too. Many times, friends or family can hinder us from following the Spirit's leadings. And it's not that they're outright opposing us. But maybe they're encouraging complacency or delaying us in our obedience. Like, what's the rush? Stay here for a while. And so the servant said to him, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. Verse 57, So they said, Wait, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. You know what's significant, I think, here? Abraham talked about the angel of the Lord, which would, you know, would, would lead the servant to find the bride. The, Lord, the angel of the Lord had selected Rebekah to be the bride that the servant would invite to marry Isaac. And yet here, Rebekah still has to make a personal decision. She still has to decide, am I going to do this or not? You know, in the Bible, Paul even talks about it in Ephesians. He talks about it in chapter 1, verse 11. He talks about that, the fact that we've been predestined. And it's absolutely true. We have been predestined. He says this, In him also we have uh, obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. But then he says this, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Spirit of, Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We've been chosen, we've been predestined to salvation, and yet we see here in the Bible that we still have to make a personal choice. We still have the free will to choose to accept or reject Jesus Christ. Rebecca was chosen, and yet they gave her the option to go or not, and she chose to go. I mean, think about this. 
She's just, uh, she was willing to leave everything that she's known, everything that she had around her, all the comforts that she had of home to go be with a bridegroom she had never seen, she'd only heard about. That's a, that, that'd be a big step, right? Well, can you, any of you fathers, if your daughters did that, can you imagine? Yeah, that, that'd be a big thing. Willing to leave all to be with a bridegroom she had never seen. You know, Peter, one of the disciples, he was talking to the Lord and and uh, you know the disciples, they left all to follow Jesus. And in, in Matthew 19, he says to Jesus, he says, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on his throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and eternal life. You may think, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm sacrificing so much to follow Christ. God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. I guarantee it. John 20, Jesus is speaking to Thomas. Remember doubting Thomas. He was one of the disciples that wasn't there the first time that Jesus Christ appeared to him after his resurrection. And uh, he's like, man, I, I, I won't see it until I, I won't believe it until I see the nail prints. I actually touch him. I put my hand in his side where the spear went in. Um, and then the next time Jesus appears to him and, and he says, Simon, or yeah, Thomas, come over here. And, and, and basically Thomas is just floored. And he falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. You know, if you've put your trust in Christ this morning for salvation, Jesus just called you blessed. You're blessed. Because you're, you're leaving all. You're believing in someone who, you, we, I've never physically seen Jesus, and yet there's one day when we will, when we'll see him face to face. And we're going to talk about that here shortly. Verse 59 so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, O sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. And, you know, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I can only imagine that during that journey, there was just all this conversation. Hey, tell me more about Isaac. Tell me more about Abraham, his father. Tell me about the, where I'm going. Tell me about all these things. And, and I can imagine the servant is just sharing everything that he knows. Because if he's the oldest servant, he's been there for a long time. And, and, and Eliezer of Damascus had been there a long time with Abraham. And so he's just he's relaying everything and preparing Rebekah to meet Isaac. Now, here's something I think is extremely significant <clears throat> in this whole narration in the book of Genesis. Back in Genesis chapter 22, verse 9 through 12, that's the last time Isaac is mentioned by name in scriptures <coughs> until verse 62 of this chapter. So, the last time Isaac's mentioned, you know, it says, as it says in, in Hebrews, that Abraham figuratively received Isaac back from the dead. And it says there at the end of, of chapter 22 that uh, uh, Moses and the servants, they, they went back to Beersheba. It doesn't mention Isaac. Now, we can assume that Isaac was with them. But I think it's significant that the scriptures doesn't mention that Isaac is with them. Isaac's missing from the story until this point in the narration in the book of Genesis. 
And it fits the picture of Jesus, or excuse me, as Isaac as the son of God perfectly because Jesus rose from the dead. He walked around. He proved himself alive to many, many people for 40 days. And then he ascended into heaven. And it's not until the end of the age when he returns to meet his bride in the air. And we see that picture right here, beautifully painted for us. Verse 62, now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahoi Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Isaac was at the way of Beer Lahay Roy, which is the well of the living one seeing me. That's when Hagar met the angel of the Lord back in uh, Genesis, uh, I forgot what chapter, it might have been 15. What's Isaac doing? It says he went out in the field meditating. Some people say he was praying, which is quite possibly what that's referring to. What is Jesus doing right now in heaven? The Bible teaches that he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and me. He's praying for us. Another thing that's interesting is Isaac's in the field. You know, they didn't have cell phones. You know, he didn't have some way to track to figure out when they were showing up. He's out in the field, and he looks up, and he sees the camels coming. Now, is there any significance to that? Jesus said, talking about his return of rapture of the church, Mark, Mark 13, 32, he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Take heed, watch and pray for you do not know when the time is. I find that significant. Verse 64, then Rebecca lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel for she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. Now, I think it's kind of interesting. Well, you know, what's the significance of the camels? I was going through this thing. And I'm like, man, I, I just, I don't know what the significance of the camels. And why 10 camels? And uh, I came across, I don't know how many of you know who John Corson is, but I came across uh, one of his teachings, and he was talking about this. And he believes the 10 camels are a picture of the 10 commandments, the law. And, and his reasoning is, and I, and I looked at it and go, yeah, that makes sense. Because Paul said in Romans 3.20, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, the Ten Commandments, basically they're there. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 3.24 that the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. And so if you see this picture, uh, there's Rebecca. She's brought to the bridegroom riding on a, ta- on a camel, who John says is a, is a picture of the Ten Commandments. But once she sees Jesus, or she sees Isaac, the bridegroom, she dismounts from her camel, and she walks to meet Isaac. And the Ten Commandments, you know, they reveal to us our sin and our need for a Savior. In a sense, they carry us to Jesus. But when we become his bride... We're no longer carried by the law. What do we do now? Now we walk in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture that is. And so here she sees Isaac. She gets off the camel. She starts walking to her future husband here. And she takes a veil and covers herself. Well, what's that? Well, in that culture, that was a sign of chastity, modesty, and submission. Paul in his letter, second letter to the Corinthians, he says, man, I've betrothed you. He's speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, I've betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. 
Paul also said in Ephesians 5.25, he's talking to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing and wants to do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, sanctifying us. That's the process of making us holy, setting us apart as a bride of Christ. He's preparing us as a glorious bride with no spot, no wrinkle, or blemish. I've performed a number of ceremonies. I know there's a couple pastors here this morning, and I'm sure they've performed a number number of ceremonies, and and I'm not going to put them on the spot, but you know, of every wedding that I've performed, I've never seen an ugly bride. Now, I'll be honest with you. Some people are more plain-looking than others, right? I mean, that's just that's a reality. But you can take the most plain-looking woman and put her in a bride in a, in a dress, in a, in a bride's dress, a beautiful white flowing dress. Their, their hair is made up, and and you know, even without the makeup, you look at their face, and they got this glow, right? There's just this, this joy and this happiness on their face, and it can transform the most plain-looking woman into this beautiful bride. I mean, that I've never seen an ugly bride before. Have you ever seen an ugly bride? No. Have you ever seen a, no? See, it's true. <laughs> what am I getting at? If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are a bride of Christ. And I know sometimes I don't feel like a very beautiful bride. I've got, I've got mars. I've got, I've got blemishes. I've, I've screwed up. I've done stuff. And, and you know, the truth is, none of us are beautiful. Except for my wife. She's beautiful. <laughs> none of us are beautiful. I'm just looking at her. I'm like, I can't. That was not good. Um, we're marred. We're blemished. We're stained vessels. But when you and I repent of our sins, we put our trust in Christ... The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It removes the stain of guilt. You're no longer stained and you're no longer, you're no longer dirty and blemished in God's eyes. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit who continues that work of sanctification. And the Holy Spirit, he teaches us, he guides us, he comforts us, he helps us. He gives us spiritual gifts to not only to equip us for the work of the ministry, but to build up the body of Christ, to be involved in one another in, in the life of the church. And as you and I submit our lives to the leading of his spirit, of the Holy Spirit in us, he's going to bring us not only closer and closer to our bridegroom, but he's going to make us more and more like him. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do today. Um, Luke, you want to come on up here? I'm going to just close out this and inviting Luke to just lead us in the last worship song. But Verse 66. says, And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done, Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. As we see in this picture here, Jesus is doing the same thing. Listen to what he said in John 14, verse 1. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for us, and he's going to come to pick to meet his bride in the air and to bring him back, bring us back to be with him forever. 
What a beautiful picture we have painted here this morning. And uh, um, I, one thing that we want to do here at Calvary Chapel, um, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. And, and uh, John, are you willing to come up? I know I kind of put you on the spot, but we talked about that. And Teresa, can you come on? As we close this service, we don't want anybody to leave with an unmet need. And I, I don't know, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you, you're like, man, I, I've, never, I've never prayed to receive Christ into my heart. We want to give you an opportunity to do that this, evening, this morning at the end of the service. But not only that, maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I haven't been following the leading of the Spirit. I've been, I've been grieving the Holy Spirit in my life. Well, we want to pray for you too. And so we want to give you an opportunity. If there's anything that you need prayer for this morning, whatever it is, we want to invite you to come on up and we're going to pray for you at the end of this service. I want you to stand up and let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this beautiful picture that you've painted of the bride, which is us, and of the Holy Spirit, who's the one who's bringing us to you. Lord, I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts this morning. And I pray for each and every person here this morning. Lord, I pray that your spirit just spoke to them today. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, that you, you've just, you've comforted them. Maybe you've corrected them. Lord, whatever it is that you've spoken to them this morning. And Lord, may we be, uh, just become more like you, Lord. May you beautify us, that you're bright. And so we thank you and we give you this, this morning. We love you and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.